So now I get to introduce our speaker today, giving our sermon. It's Dave Bindewald. Um, he's a dear friend of Chris's. Um, him and Chris worked in the CCO together for a number of years, and when I was at Cornerstone, which is the campus ministry I did at Pitt, um, Dave actually came and spoke, so I got to talk with him about that and say, I remember when you gave a talk at Cornerstone. So, um, A fun fact about Dave is he can squeeze a lemon so hard that he can make orange juice. So if you want to know about that more, you can ask him after the sermon. So, so without further ado, Dave. Sounds like a, a miracle or a, is that, what's the word, stigmata or something? <laughs> Goodness. Uh, it's true, though, I, uh, my name is Dave Bindewald. I am a good friend of Chris Ansel's, wishing Chris and your crew speedy recovery. Um, I am married and I live in Highland Park in Pittsburgh, near the zoo. And I have three daughters and a dog. I'm the only man in my house. I'm the only male in my house. Um, I guess pray for me. I don't know what, what that means or why I said that. <laughs> uh, but uh, it's, a real, it's a real joy to be with you guys today. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be a substitute. Thanks for letting me pinch hit here. Um, I'm just struck. It's very exciting to be on TV as well. I've, I've never really been on TV or on the interwebs before, and I'm very excited uh, it reminded me as I was sitting there of one of my favorite movies growing up. We were, I was a missionary kid in Japan, so that's another story for another time, but we would watch this movie called Big Bird Goes to Tokyo. And there was a family in that movie that found out they were on the news. In the movie, they're being interviewed on the news. And this family, one of the kids says to the other members of the family, are we on TV? And the reporter says, yes, you are. And they all at once as a family say, oh, let's go inside and watch. Just kind of let that, let that wash over you. <laughs> I was one of the first jokes I think I kind of got as a kid. And I'm like, oh, that's funny. See, if they go inside, they're not on the TV anymore. So I would just, I would just roar at that. I thought about saying that and then running off the stage. But Chris, I won't, I won't do that. I'm not going to do that to you. I actually want to talk to you today uh, from scriptures about heaven. Uh, it's something that has, has been a central part of my journey and my following of Jesus. And uh, I think it's incredibly important to talk about this idea that we Jesus followers have of heaven or where is this all going kind of thing. Um, so hopefully this will be uh, interesting or helpful or spark more questions, and all of those would just be wonderful uh, to me and for me. Hopefully, that will happen in you as it has for me. Uh, but ironically, I have found, and again, just showing all my cards, uh, I need, when I start to talk and think about heaven, I have to first uh, talk with you and share with you about disappointment, which is really strange bedfellows, right? Strange, strange that those things would go together. And of course, you know this, uh, but there's all kinds and all sorts of levels of disappointment. There's all kinds of things that you can be sad or frustrated or sad or disappointed about. There's, uh, you know, the, the, the meal that you ordered at the restaurant comes and it's not quite 
not quite how you want it. You know, take this away. You know, it's like a disappointment. Or uh, this new outfit that you bought doesn't quite look the way that you imagined it would. Or, you know, there's like, all oh, shucks. You know, there's that level of disappointment. You know this. And then there's sort of like mid-level disappointment. Things like uh, our team lost. Or, uh, you know, I didn't... Um, I didn't score, I scored well, but I didn't score as well as I want, and there's ramifications of that, you know, the kind of mid-level disappointments. Uh, If I talk about this outside of Pittsburgh, it's without fail, someone comes up and says, but you're from Pittsburgh, right? So when your team loses, that's more like catastrophic disappointment and failure, right? That's not like middle. Yeah, that's true. true. (laughs) So if they lose today, you know, just how overcome we will be. But then, of course, there's over here, disappointment. There's that end of the spectrum of, oh no, they don't love me anymore. Or they don't feel the same way that I do. Or they're gone. And I don't know if I'll ever see them again. Or I have nothing meaningful to do in my life with my work, my relationships. And where this is all going is not what I bargained for and not what I hoped for. There's over there too, right? There's this whole spectrum of disappointment that every human being feels at one time or another. So I want to share with you, heaven, like where, where is this going, Dave? Right now Chris is like, oh crud, you know, what have I, what have I done? Imagine if you can, if you can try to, for me, where I was and how this was for me when I heard this picture of heaven in a, in a church service uh, that talks about this like wild throne room and making all kinds of noises and people screaming and worshiping and all. And it says, and actually there's the words that we uh, sang earlier today, holy, holy, holy. You know the scene, the throne room scene? But that I was haunted by a, a a line there. It's from Revelation 4, if you want to look this up later. And it says, day and night, they never stop singing. And I felt for the first time, oh no. Like, well then what? And after that, what do we do? The same song every day over and over and over again for eternity. And I thought, for the, I, inside, I didn't tell anybody this, but for the first time in my life, I realized I don't want to go to heaven. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> what have I done? I want my money back, right? Like, that's, that's where all this is going? Now listen, I could listen to Jesse sing for a long time. That was amazing. It's a beautiful, beautiful voice. The power. But doesn't it start to, after a while, I think it does watching you sing, Jesse, it, make, it makes you want to do something or respond somehow, right? And it's like if we just sat here for another hour and 10 more hours. First of all, what would happen to your voice? You know, how, would, how long would you be able to do that? Jesse's doing this. Maybe like year 20? You see where this is going, right? And I had this crisis of faith. The sort of end goal that I'm being sold 
is disappointing to me. I can think of a better heaven than that. And that's another strange place to be, right? Well, folks, I have, I have unspeakably good news. Wonderful news. Life-changing, world-changing, transformational news. It's not true. It's not true. And a little while after that, I say a little while, I'll tell you later maybe privately how long it took to sort of connect these dots. A good friend and a good teacher and then more good friends and more good teachers and more communities, not unlike this, started thinking through, praying through, worshiping through this. Is this where this is really going? And just simply read from another place in Revelation. Remember, that's Revelation 4, if you want to go back later and read that, the throne room scene. Very Johnny Cash, you know, like creatures with eyeballs everywhere and like, oh, like, oh no. Well, this Revelation 21, if I may, read this to you. This is another depiction of what we call heaven. Revelation 21. And I saw a restored heaven and earth, for the first one had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Sort of Johnny Cash again. We'll see what that means later. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, see, now, finally, the dwelling of God is with people. And God will live with them forever. They'll be God's people, and God himself will be their God. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. The old way of things has passed away. And the person sitting on the throne that we just sang to and sang about says, look, look, look. I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down, because this is important. Look, behold, God is now with God's people. It's almost like, is it not, my friends? And this might be a path in the road that could change everything for you. So be careful. I warn you here, this could mess up the rest of your life in the absolute most fantastic way. And I hope that it does. It's almost like God is finally coming home. No whisking away, not saying goodbye to all the things and the places and the people that you love. No getting rid of your body and singing forever somehow without lips or playing your guitar without hands because you're some weird spirit creature. Your body finally working the way it's supposed to. God coming back to this temple that God made for God's self. That us 
I dare you to, I invite you and dare you to think that this might be true. That what we're hoping for, what we're longing for, is not this day when we finally get rid of all this stuff and become spirit creatures somewhere. But instead, our Creator, the God who made all this stuff, finally comes home. And everything is finally as it should be. And what does that mean? And what does that look like? Is our hope appropriately sized? Are we longing for and waiting for the right thing? The accurate thing, according to the scripture. And the further more wonderful news about this is, A, that's a bad story. If that's the story that God is writing, it's a poor one. And this is what I mean. Follow just sort of visibly, visually like this. In the beginning, God creates everything. Everything. The potential for things and actual things, right? God makes everything. We break everything. Tragedy. God comes God's self to restore and save everything. And then God destroys everything. Growing up in Japan, this is hilarious. I can't believe I'm telling you. In Japan, there is a cultural comedic action where when something happens that's unexpected, like a curveball, everybody goes like that. So, so strange. We would never do that. God makes everything. We break everything. Jesus saves it all. And then God destroys it all. No. That's a bad story. And I have wonderful news. It's never been the story. This has told a different story from the beginning. In the beginning, God made everything. There is nothing that is not God's. We broke everything. And I don't have to convince you of that. You know that. Tragedy and pain and heartbreak. Why? Because the goodness is not the way it's supposed to be. Jesus comes and starts fixing everything. And the end of the story says, God is coming home. And all goodness will finally be restored. Everything. There is no corner of the creation that has fallen that God will not restore. And what does that mean? What could that mean for your life? Again, is our hope appropriately sized? Genesis 1 says, in the beginning God created everything. And God made it good. And it's God's favorite thing. God's favorite place. I'm going through the story kind of real quickly here to show you that there's really only like one and a half places that we get this idea that God is going to tank everything that God made and burn it up. There's one and a half little verses in all of this that suggest maybe that, and then the rest of the story is just overflowing with this bigger picture, I would say more accurate story. As a teaser to you, if you're curious, and I beg you to be and to follow up on this, 2 Peter 3 is the verse, verses that say the elements will be destroyed by fire. So you're like, okay, well, there it is, like, I know this might not fit in everywhere else, but it says clearly God is going to 
do something with fire. I dare you, I challenge you, I invite you to start messing around in those verses. What did Peter mean? Well, first of all, just real quick teaser, sort of cheating cliff notes. He compared this thing that's going to happen with fire with what happened with the flood. He's like, guys, you remember how one time God uh, flooded the earth? Well, God's going to do the same thing again to the creation, but this time God's going to use fire. Well, what happened to the creation in the flood? Did it go anywhere? It was cleansed. Have you ever heard God referred to as a certain kind of fire? A refining fire? Peter never once thought about God torching, incinerating, uh, annihilating God's favorite place. What a horrendous idea. Refiner fire. If even, if the fire is supposed to be literal. Right? And again, you do this research, and did he say destroy? Or did he say reveal? Or did he say purify? Or did he, and hint, hint, nudge, nudge. It's all the refining language. In other words, if you know how refinement works, gold doesn't come out of the ground as gold. It's got like dinosaur poop and bones and all kinds of stuff in it. And you heat it up, and everything that's not gold floats to the surface. And the creator removes that. Everything that is fallen or sad, just like the story says, will be wiped away. And what's left? The good, good, original creation of God. Another one. Sorry, I'm getting bogged down on these. The other one is 1 Thessalonians 4. That's the one that says, we will be whisked up in the air. We will meet him in the air, it says. And in that day, Paul wrote, that, wrote those verses. When the returning, conquering, victor king comes back from another victory in Rome, the whole city runs out to meet the returning king. It was just culture. It's what they did. Lining the streets, parades, banners, and everything. And then where do you think everyone goes after that? Back home. Back to the city. All Paul is saying there is when King Jesus returns, we will, maybe he's saying, maybe we'll meet him in the air and never once thought, and then we will continue into the stratosphere somewhere to that spirit realm that God made because God's going to destroy all physicality. Never once meant that. Please delve into those. Please enjoy those. Unlock, do work there, I dare you. It could change everything about what you're hoping for. But more importantly, and sort of in closing and wrapping up, the, those one and a half to two verses there are where we get this idea of God destroying the creation and us going somewhere else. And everything else, everything else is the other story. So I invite us to let the whole story influence and interpret those two verses rather than let those two verses interpret the whole story, if that makes sense. In Acts chapter 3, Peter, the same guy who talked about uh, the fire in Second Peter, in Acts 3, he says, you know what we're waiting for, people, when he's preaching that big sermon to everybody? You know what we're waiting for? One of my favorite phrases in all of Scripture. Universal restoration. Cosmic. As we wait for Jesus to come back, he says, we are waiting and anticipating universal restoration. All things being made as they should be, as they were intended to be. 
In Colossians 1, it says, everything in the creation, this is Paul again, everything in the creation holds together by Jesus. Jesus makes everything work the way that it's supposed to. He's the king. He's the savior. He makes technology finally work appropriately. He makes relationships finally relate appropriately. They find their meaning in him, it says, and everything holds together. And it also says everything was made for him. This is all made for Jesus. And Jesus is there at the creation too. So of course he's not going to destroy it. In fact, he's going to perfect it. What does it do to our hope if what we're anticipating is not the baby thrown out with the bathwater, but the baby restored and healed and included and perfected? This is what I mean. Just because a part of the creation has been broken, and we have broken it, my friends. Every time I say we all broke everything, the whole room nods. You know what that looks like. You know what that feels like. But listen to this, and you know this is true too. When something breaks in God's creation, God does not throw it away. God fixes it. Can you believe that and hope that about your family and about your work, about engineering? What does engineering look like with Jesus as the head? And because it is greedy and manipulative and privileged and overpowerful sometimes, well, let's just get rid of it. No, says the Creator. That's mine. And I love it and I love you. We can just do this better. Instead of throwing it out when it's broken, fixing it. God does not make junk. Your God does not make junk. And our God does not junk what God makes. And we'll never do it. What does that mean for our hope? Two more. And there's many, 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 many more that we could be looking at. Two from Isaiah, and we'll, we'll wrap up with these. Isaiah 60 is one of my favorite. It's, it's a lesson in uh, pronunciation, too, because it names a lot of places. And it's a, it's a vision, it's an articulation of what they would call Zion, right? The same image, when Jerusalem returns to what it's supposed to be. When the, when the creation, heaven on earth, is restored, they would often say Zion, or the kingdom of God in its fullness. Isaiah 60 is right in the middle of one of those articulations. And it says, All the nations of the world will bring their best and what they're known for to King Jesus, the returning hero. And it starts naming things and places. It says things like sheep from Naboth and ships from Tarshish. You know, we're reading that like, what in the heck? What? Well, let, let's, let's help each other here. I am asking you, with Scripture behind me and the Spirit's invitation behind this invitation, to imagine heaven as God's good creation, this place finally restored. 
chocolate from Switzerland. Beer from Germany. Steel from Pittsburgh. Football from Cleveland. What? Diamonds from Africa. Coffee from Colombia. And people start offering it up in these other kinds of worship. See that vision of the throne room? How real or how allegorical it is? We can figure that out and argue that. People worshiping God with the best that they have. Jesse's voice. Work, service, all these places in the creation bringing their best to the Creator. Because the Creator is the Savior, and it's almost like God is saying, I'm the Creator, and I'm the Savior. Now where were we? Let's keep playing and exploring in this good world of mine. Because you see, friends, what I was most worried about in this Revelation 4 only by itself thing was I'm going to be bored forever. But somehow, that's because I'm sinful and I need to just change my expectations. And you can just see the Creator like roaring. Have I got news for you? Rather than worrying about being bored, the worry is what will we do first? What will we do if the creation, with the restriction taken off of it, with the film of death and sadness and greed and lust and and injustice and poverty is removed from it, what will you do? What will you do first? And for how long? And then what will you do? And then what will you do? Isaiah 25 says, on this day and for all these days, there will be a huge, big table. I'm assuming made of wood. Maybe from Lebanon. Because Lebanon will be there with rich, rich food and rich wine and a table surrounded by people eating and drinking and enjoying the goodness of God and a feast with real lips and tongues and taste buds. And if there's food there and there's that table there, there's trees and there's animal husbandry, and there's vineyards, and there's education. Don't think for a second, friends, when the Lord comes back, you'll sort of, okay, okay, Dave, I'll, I'll agree just for a second. It's going to be this place, and some of these things will be there. Okay, I'll give you that. But, you know, just kind of, it'll be sort of perfect, and we'll just sort of get it all. Like there's some kind of, for your meal, you just get a little slit in your throat, and like the protein bar just gets sort of shoved in there, and then everything's perfect and efficient. No! If you want to make good wine in the new heavens and the new earth, you have to figure out how. And you have to go to Portugal or Southern California or wherever you think the best grapes might be grown. If you want to make a table fit for feasting, you have to find good wood and cultivate it. But without selfishness and pride and vanity and greed and injustice, Isaiah 25 says, friends, remember what we're waiting for. The shroud will be removed from the world. Not the world will be removed. Everything sad, everything despairing, 
everything unjust, everything dying about the creation will be removed. Leaving, what will we do first? It says clearly that our eyes will be wiped free of tears. Remember that? But, and you know what that means, no more sadness, no weeping from grief, but it says, remember, the shroud will be removed, not the creation itself will be removed, the shroud from the creation. God's going to wipe your tears of pain away, but God is going to leave your tear ducts. How can I say that to you? Because you're going to need them when the next time happens that someone tells a remarkably well-told joke. Or someone makes a piece of art that shakes you to your core. The song that you hear that makes you weep because it's so beautiful. People falling down and making each other laugh and telling amazing stories. And, oh, you see the difference between wiping a tear and removing tear ducts completely? Do you see the babies that get thrown out with the bathwater when we miss this story? What's the difference between, behold, says Jesus, I am making all things new, as opposed to, I'm going to make all new things? My friends, the difference between life and death between heaven, the new heavens and new earth, the creation restored and regained, and sounds more like hell, almost. How big is your hope? How wide, how robust is our hope? Are we hoping appropriately? Do we have room for this, for what's coming, for who is coming and what's going to happen? There's a phrase that floats around out in the culture at times. And it says, you've probably heard this, maybe you've even said this. All good things must come to an end. What goes up must come down. All good things must come to an end. What an unbiblical idea. What a hilarious and tragic idea from the Christian perspective. All good things must come to an end. All truly good things never come to an end. Ever. Ever. God is not going to remove your desires from you and the things that you love and long for about this place. God's not going to take those away. God's not going to replace those. God's going to satisfy those. Finally, appropriately. Glory be to God the Creator. Glory be to God the Savior. Glory be to God the Restorer of all things. Glory be to the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we say to each other. As it was in the beginning, still is right now, and forever and ever will be. And my favorite part, especially for today, world without end. World without end. 
Amen.